Good morning and welcome to the Mike Corson Show. We're going to be talking about a lot of things here on this program over the weeks to come. Uh, my program is going to be aimed at trying to develop motivation for people who are less than happy most of the time and to help people who want to be happier in what they're doing and understanding how to take control of your thought processes and develop a more enjoyable existence on this planet to better interact with your co-workers, with your family and friends and just be an all-around better person overall. For those of you who don't know me or know anything about me, I'll give you a little brief history of what I've been through and how I got to where I am today and how I'm able to pass on some real gems that got me through some terrible stuff. Uh, I was an attorney in Los Angeles for over 20 years. I also practiced in Indiana. I started becoming ill probably around oh, 1998, 1999 and kind of ignored what was going on in my life at that time and then I gradually dwindled downhill, started self-medicating and whatever. Uh, ultimately, I landed in Lakeland Hospital in St. Joseph on uh, the morning of April 1st, 2003. Uh, I recall the last thing that I heard as they threw me in the back of an ambulance was 60 over 40 step on it. And I woke up in a recovery room uh, attached to uh, IV and uh, the smell of a hospital and I realized I was somehow in a hospital and that I couldn't afford this and I need to get out of here. Uh, it turned out that I had emergency surgery and uh, had five cancerous polyps removed from my colon. Uh, uh, further testing revealed that I had pancreas cancer and I had uh, liver disease and cancer and uh, colon cancer. And I was pretty much given my uh, death warrant and sent home to die. Um, uh, a lot of details went on in, in between there as to, you know, just the overall dealing with family, dealing with my own thought processes, and the general freak out of being told, you know, you're a goner. And I mean, I recall my doctor standing at the foot of my bed after I'd been in the hospital for about a week. And he said, um, you're a goner. There's nothing we can do. Um, we're going to release you this afternoon. Uh, you can have breakfast or lunch, uh, whatever you want, as much as you want, uh, if you can hold it down. And if you can't, you know, that's fine. Um, go home, get your affairs in order. I'm sorry. And my sister uh, was my doctor's nurse, and I heard her crying out in the hallway. And I was like, what is this, some kind of bad movie or what? I, you know, and I, It's one I don't want to be in, and I certainly don't want to be the star of this show. Um, ultimately, I was released from the hospital and went home to die. I had several episodes with my family that went on and on about you know, what should be done, what could be done, what should I do, and my thought processes were completely, you know, in the freak-out stage. What do I do? 
how do I get myself through this when they've told me there's really nothing to get through other than to be finished, you're done. And how does this fly in the face of everything that I've learned and everything I've studied? Uh, I hold five doctorate degrees and uh, two are, one's in divinity, one is in theology and uh, a lot of what I was being told and, and what had happened to me during my surgery where I had passed away two times, I flatlined and died two times during that surgery, you know, there was no light, there was no you know, angels, no nothing, you know, just darkness. How does that figure into all oh, this grand scheme of everything and how in the world can somebody be happy faced with their ultimate demise and it's going to be fast uh, after struggling with all the push and pull of the family well you got to get treatment no you don't need to get treatment well we'll do whatever you want no you got to do this you got to do that that, that that being arrested by my family thrown into a loony bin saying you know this guy you know he's giving up you know somebody you know talk him in to get some treatment or whatever I said well I'm not a candidate for treatment they sent me home to die so what do I do I uh was in a tough situation there and uh and I remember July 16, 2003, I wrote the toughest check in my life. I remember a previous check I had written back in the 19, late 70, 1970s where I had to pay the, the IRS $25,000. I thought, whoa, that's a huge check. That's a terrible check. That's the worst check I'll ever write. Well, on July 16, 2003, I wrote one to the funeral home to do my uh, my funeral and I was going to need it in a couple of weeks. That was a sobering thought right there, if there ever was one. Um, how do you get out of that? You know you're going to die. There's nothing you can do. I called in hospice. Hospice came in, took over my care and treatment. Well, there was no treatment. It was just basically my medication to keep me comfortable. And I would lay there for hours on end, day after day, alone I would get an occasional visitor but for the most part nobody really wants to be bothered with you when you're dying I mean it's terrible they come oh what a sad thing you're so young you're only 50 years old 51 years old you're gonna die that's terrible um well gotta go and people's lives go on whether you're sick or not and and a lot of us don't understand that. We assume, you know, wow, if I ever got in that situation, all my friends and family, you know, they would come out of the woodwork to help me and get me through this thing, and I would not be dying on my own without any help or anyone trying to make me feel better. Well, it turned out that the only people who were really there for me at that time were the nurses from hospice and my counselor from hospice and some of the people from the church who came to try and help me. And this is where I really got into the thought process of what is it that I'm doing that makes me keep going every day, knowing full well every morning I'm just going to wake up and it's just going to be more pain and agony and me being alone staring at a spot on the ceiling knowing full well that that spot is probably going to be my last view of planet Earth when I check out. And the spot and I got to be pretty good friends over several weeks, months of being together. 
And how do you how do you learn to be happy under these circumstances? It's, is it possible to even try to be happy, or do you just throw in the towel and say, you know what, <laughs> just take me, I'm done? Well, I found out that was not my choice. I didn't have my choice of when I was coming and going anymore. And I started thinking back of some therapy I'd gone through 20-some years before when I was going through a terrible divorce. And I went in to see his counselor, and I was all upset. And he said, well, what can I do for you? And I said, well, my my life's come apart. My wife wants a divorce. You know, I don't want this. And he said, well, okay, that's kind of terrible. He goes, what makes you happy? I said, well, I, I just told you I want my family back together and my wife. And, I, you know, what do I have to say to get you know, beyond all these problems that we have. And he says, oh, I understand that. What makes you happy? And I said, aren't you paying attention? I told you what makes me happy. I want my family back together. Get this, you know, let's let's move on, you know. You know, what's the magic words I have to say to go home? You know, I'll go home, say that. Every, you know, all, everybody's happy again, and we just, you know, get on with our lives. He goes, what makes you happy? And I'm like, you're not paying any attention to me. This went on and on and on. And he kept asking me, what makes you happy? And I really, you know, up until that point, had never really sat down and asked myself that question, what makes me happy? What do I like to do? He said, go make a list of the things that make you happy. I said, well, that's kind of stupid. I got, uh, You know, I'm a lawyer. I got things to do. And he said, well, this is something. If you want to be happy, you're, you're telling me right now you're not very happy. This is how you're going to be happy. I'm going to teach you how to become happy again. But first, let's make a list of those things you like to do. So I reluctantly sat down and said, all right, well, I like music. I was in the music business, and I like music. And he goes, oh, well, good. What kind of music do you like? And we started talking about music and the bands I'd worked with. I was a recording engineer in Chicago and Los Angeles for a lot of years before I went to law school. And I'd worked with some pretty popular people, Ramsey Lewis, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, I don't know, lots of pe- lots of bands and whatever. And uh, we got talking about the music, and as we got talking about the things I liked, I started smiling. I started feeling a little better. But then I'd go right back to, oh, well, my family, my life, my own, my miserable, oh, i got to go to work, my job, da-da-da-da-da-da. And life was just not panning out to be anything that I really, really felt good about. Well, now, 20 years later, I'm lying in a bed dying, and I'm realizing, you know, I have wasted 50 years of my life. For what? I'm losing everything. I'm going to die all of the things I chase, the property, the the law degrees, the all the information I was trying to stuff in my head, the junk I was collecting, the jewelry, the cars, the you know houses, whatever. I'd been running around like a maniac all my whole life trying to collect junk. I realized, you know what? That's pretty much all Americans or people are in general. We're junk collectors, and we spend our whole life chasing more junk. I'm buying more stuff. We just recently buried my father, and we were going through the estate. And I'm like, wow, look at all this man who spent 78 years collecting junk. And look at all of it. You know, to him it was so important. But after I was so sick, I was down there, and it was just me and my spot on the ceiling. 
realized, you know, it's about, it's not about collecting stuff. I'm going to go out of here with nothing. I mean, I came in here with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. What did I lose? Nothing. You know, I'm just using this stuff for a short period of time, and then I'm checking out. Well, my whole thinking started changing at that moment that what was important and I was in a lot of agony and pain and I was like you know I don't want to wake up in the morning this hurts too much but I couldn't get over that I couldn't stop that that was out of my control I and I started realizing you know what I've never really had a whole lot of control of anything that's going on in my life and I need to let go of that I really need to let go of all these things I've been trying to hang on to and just be me enjoy the moment because I've only got a few moments left my life is not about collecting a bunch of stuff so I can do something later today is my life right this minute is my life right this minute is your life and how are you using it what are you doing to be happy and I came up with a question that I ask myself all day every day and it's a, I think it's probably the most important question that was ever framed for anyone that's a human being that wants to be a happy person. And if you got a pencil, write this down. Uh, burn this into your memory uh, and use it every day on everything you're doing all the time. Keep this as a gnawing question in the back of your head. What positive benefit am I getting out of doing this or thinking this way? I'll say it again. What positive benefit am I getting out of doing this or thinking this way? That's a, that's an enormous question. An enormous question about that there's only one right answer for you. And if the answer comes out none, it's time to start doing something else or thinking about it a different way. Now, a lot of things we can't change because we don't have control over that. I can't change the fact that I would have to get up in the morning and go to work because I had to earn money to pay my bills, blah, 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 and I hated my job or I hated doing what I was doing or it was a miserable day or the traffic was terrible, whatever. But those kinds of things I really had no control over. There's very few things I have control over but the second point of that question, this two-pronged question, what am I doing and what am I thinking? My thinking was what it was about. Now, I, finished, I just finished a book recently called Winning Thinking, and I outline in the book the things I go through every day just to get out of bed because it's agony for me to get up in the morning. I'm, I'm, I'm not a happy camper when I wake up because I'm in an enormous amount of pain. And I have to reframe my thinking to where I can get out of that bed and go out and be a part of the planet Earth and be be a, a productive citizen and be happy, despite all of these you know maladies that are still lingering as a result of my cancer and my stroke and all that that's enormous beating in my body took. But my thinking is the most important part. As an example, my mom passed away 
in 2004. I was a resident of the same nursing home she was in and, uh, after I had my stroke. I had a massive stroke on October 16, 2003, and I was in a coma for about two months and woke up a quadriplegic in January of 2004, kind of hobbling around and whatever. Apparently, I'd been in two other nursing homes before I was in that one. I don't really have any recollection of any of that. But uh, ultimately, I was at Jordan's nursing home in uh, Bridgman, Michigan, down the road on the Red Arrow Highway. And my mom was a resident there as well. And she was suffering from Alzheimer's, which was totally incurable, and she was in the final stages of that. And I knew at some point, once my lucidity had come back, after the blood clots in my brain had let loose, and I had little bits and pieces of the films in my life, the videotapes that I have stored as my memory, started coming back, I started realizing, you know, mom's going to die, and there's nothing I can do to stop that. What positive benefit am I getting out of doing this, sitting here beating myself up, thinking this way? Why? How can I stop that? I need to choose to think something else. There comes the word choose, and thinking is a choice. You have to realize your emotions, my emotions, my feelings about certain things are choices that I make. You hear about people saying, wow, they, the guy really knows how to push my buttons. I, my boss, I, oh, I could just have a, my, my mother-in-law can really push my buttons, you know, and it drives you nuts. Well, yeah, that happens to all of us. And what that brings me to is how our brain functions. We think in pictures. We think in videotapes, video DVDs, whatever you want to call them. It's like a big jukebox up there called your brain where we've stored all of these memories in our head. And we can pick and choose what we want, just like a computer does. If you've got a computer and you need to find a file, you go in the search part of your computer, you type in what you're looking for, you push the button, and what do you do? You wait. And the computer goes through and it does its thinking and finds whatever tape it is you want to play, or finds the file you're looking for, and bingo, there it is. It comes up. But it takes some time to do that. Well, a lot of us are very, very frustrated if we don't learn something really fast. We're used to games like Jeopardy on TV where, you know, your your quick recollection of obscure facts is, you know, turns into cash by winning the, you know, doing it faster than your opponents on the game show. And we all work that way. We go back and we find stuff, those tapes. And some take longer than others. depends on how far buried they are. But they're all in there. Unless they've been damaged, and, you know, I have a lot of damaged tapes because I had a stroke. But the ones I do have, you know, I use those, and I use them every day. I try to make myself happy. So how does that work with my mom dying? What does that got to do with any of that? Well, when my mom was dying, and I knew she was going to, I knew somebody was going to call me or come into my room and say, "Well, she's gone," or I'd be in her room when it happened. There were a million different ways that I could get this information, but it was going to come eventually and fairly soon that she was not going to be here any longer and I was going to have to deal with that. Now, losing a a parent or a child or a friend or a spouse or a, a sibling or 
It's a horrible thing to have someone die, and there's no question that we all go through this process of having to deal with people who die around us. And the older we get, the more people we know who are dying because, you know, time is running out for people we know, as, just as it's running out for us. Um, but we don't want to think about those things. And as a result, we have pre-programmed tapes in our head for all sorts of things that we do. And one of the tapes that we have is for a mom or dad dying is in there, and it's this horrible tape of, oh, my life is over, I'm miserable, oh, my God, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, I've lost my mommy, I've lost my daddy, whatever. And we've got all these horrible things that were going to make us cry and feel miserable, we can't eat, you know, we lose weight, we go shake, we grieve, 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 and there's this thing that people call the natural grieving process. Well, I don't buy that for a minute. I think the natural grieving process is just a frustrated label on something we just don't know how to take control over. So I thought about, my mom's going to die. What am I going to do? My mom's dying. Well, how do I deal with that? And I said, you know what? My mom's going to die. There's not a darn thing I can do about it, but I sure as can Sure, sure can take care in my head as I can take control over what I, how I want to feel. What tape do I want to play when I get that news? And I went and I sat by myself one night, all by myself, and I closed my eyes and I thought, oh God, the phone rings, or someone comes into my room, or someone, uh, I'm in her room and she passes away. And I get the news, mom is dead, mom is gone, she's no longer with us, uh, I'm sorry she passed away, all the myri- you know, myriad of ways that people uh, let you know that this, this horrible news. And immediately when I started thinking of that, I started getting teary-eyed and things were creeping up inside me that were just you know horrible and I was trying to push them back and say, well, I don't want to play that tape. Somebody turn the volume down, turn the picture down, turn it off. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to do that. I couldn't, I know I couldn't stop that button from being pushed to play the Mom's Dead tape or the Mom's Dead VHS or DVD that's in my head. I couldn't stop him from pushing that button. But you know what I could do since that jukebox of all my recollections, all of my thinking was in my head, I had full control over where those tapes were and which one played when that button was pushed. So what I needed to do was find a different tape to play, a different a different memory. When I got that information, when I thought of mom, when mom comes to mind, what do, it's the first thing I want to think of? The hole in my life, the, the, the terrible uh, fact that I'll never see her again, I'll never touch her again, I'll never this, oh, 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 and you just go on and on and on and make yourself miserable. Which tape do I want to play? And I went back and I said, I need to think of something that was very comforting to me that made me feel good about this person, this wonderful person that was in my life, the most encouraging person I ever had in my life, my mom. What was I going to think of? And I thought and I thought of all these tapes and I started flipping through them like I was going through a scrapbook of old pictures. And I said, you know, there was a time when I was about three we lived over in Benton Harbor at a little duplex. And I remember I was I f- had a Curious George book. And I picked that book up. And I went over to 
my mom and I can still see me doing it I can see the shirt I was wearing and I she's sitting in the chair and I said mom can you read me the story and she smiled and said sure and she picked me up and set me in her lap and you know to this day I don't remember her reading the story but I do remember how warm it felt to be close to her and how she was so gentle with me and stroked my hair and turned the pages and I was, it was just a wonderful warm happy feeling and I'm just a, I, that was such a joyful time and I just kind of ran that tape over and over and over again in my head that night and time went by and I was in a nursing home and I worked really really hard and my cancer for some reasons cleared up and I had to relearn how to walk and talk and zip a zipper, button a button, write my name, my letters, do my numbers. I had to relearn everything like a newborn baby, and I managed to do it. And in June of 2004, I hobbled out of Jordan's into an apartment back into the real world. You know, very limited as to what I could do, still limited as to what I can do, but I was out. And on December 1st, 2004, I got a call one morning, and it was my sister, and she was crying, and she says, Mom's died. And the first thing that popped in my head was that Curious George book and my mom and me sitting on her lap, and I got a big smile on my face. And I said, I'm so sorry, honey. I'll be right there. And she says, no, there's no sense you coming here. We're going to go over to Dad's. Meet us over there. And I said, okay, I'll see you there. And I was feeling good. Now, was there something wrong with that? I thought, was that, that well, that's got to be a terrible thing. You know, I should be on the floor. You know, the acceptable thing is to break out crying and fall down and feel terrible. And my wife looked at me and she says, who was that? And I said, that was Kim. And she, I said, mom just died. And she goes, oh my God. And she says, how, are you okay? And I said, yeah, actually I'm fine. I'm fine. I can't change the fact she's dead. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to celebrate the fact I had this wonderful person in my life. And I'm going to go over and be there for my family, and, and we're going to get through all this together. And I'm going to share some of these techniques with them so they can have this same experience. And it was no disrespect for my mom that she was she had passed away. No, I, I, I don't have any disrespect for her. She's, oh, she was a wonderful person. And the world is, is a lesser place because she's not here. But I'm a better person because she was. And that is a completely different response than we would normally expect. I feel happy about that. And it's no disrespect to my mom. I think she'd be very proud of me if she knew how I was about this and that I can share these techniques with people so they're not miserable running around I've got to take a month off of work oh god I don't know what I'm going to do oh my god the life is over you got to keep these tapes moving around we'll talk about this in more programs down the road we'll sit down and, and rehash what I've talked about here develop techniques if you've got questions or whatever you can email them to me at uh, mike at mikecourtson.com or you can email them here at the station at uh, for Harbor Country Radio. We've got a website. You can go there. And, and if you got a problem, you know we can go through it. 
Also, I want to get into talking about what we do in this community, the good things that we're doing. This is going to be the the happy program. We want to come in and talk about things that are going to make hap, you know, make people happy. What events do you have that are coming up that we need to talk about? Those things are what I need to know about. If you've got an upcoming event, you've got a school thing going on, contact me. Send me an email. Let me know. I'll mention it here. We'll get people to your event. We want to celebrate the fact that we've got great people in this community. We've got good teachers. We've got good good lawyers. We've got good doctors. We've got good CPAs. We've got good everybody. Nurses. We've got good, great, great people, great clergymen. Let's celebrate the fact that we're all here. We can all be happy every day. There's no reason for us to be miserable. We've got control. We're gonna, I'm going to try and teach you how I get through the day, how I'm happy, how you can be happy too. Don't be miserable. There's no future in it. I'll see you next time. Okay? Take care of yourself. And please, whatever you do, ask yourself that question. What positive benefit am I getting out of doing this or thinking this way? Have a happy day. Bye-bye.